This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today we have Brad on. Brad's going to tell us all about how he got started investing in Austin and what he's up to now. Hey, Brad, how are you? Doing great, Jordan. Glad to be here. So, Brad, could you tell us a little bit more about you and how you're involved in real estate investing currently? Sure, yeah. I'm uh, one of these guys that. Not, not from Texas, but got here as fast as I could. One of those kind of stories, originally from Utah. Been here for about 10 years, though. Um, my first dive into real estate, I, I, that was where I wanted to go. I was actually did a finance degree in college with the idea of going down the commercial real estate world. That didn't quite pan out. Had to had another opportunity that I pursued. Um, but as soon as I graduated college, I started picking up some rentals. Um, and the uh, first one was a condo. Um, that I found some good, a good deal with. And my boss that I worked with was actually willing to be my lender. So that was my first entrance into the real estate world and, and creative financing. Um, there I picked up a, another house that had a mother-in-law apartment. So I lived on one side and rented out the other. Um, met my wife. She had a condo. So we moved in together and kept her condo as a rental. And then we kind of got full of ourselves thinking we were doing awesome. We bought a beautiful house we thought in we thought we'd live in for for 20 years thought we'd raise the kids in in 2007 right at the peak of stuff and got creamed on that one um and so a few years after that we is when we moved to texas and we having been you know taking a hit in the shorts there up in utah we, we took a few years to um to, to kind of just catch our breath a little bit and we came to texas feeling like okay it's overheated here it's still overheated the, bu- the bubble hasn't popped and, you know, we just saw it doing nothing but keep on going up and up and up and it never popped. So finally in 2014, we, we jumped in the, in, into the market here um, and, and really more of the active strategies. Where in Utah, we were, we were just doing some, you know, doing some uh, traditional buy and hold type of a purchase. Here we started doing some more fix and flips, trying to pick up some sub twos, um, seller financing deals, um, those, kind of, those kind of projects. Um, and so that's what we did for s- several years. Um, we were talking a little bit before. The first one was there in 78721. It was a doozy. It was supposed to be like a four or five week project. It ended up taking about seven or eight months once we got because of the permitting process. So we learned a ton about that. So we've had some uh, good ones. We've had some ones that have uh, been lessons. Um, the, the, our latest purchase for as, as far as residential goes, we live in it right now. So we Picked it up as a, a what we thought was going to be a flip, but we ended up just liking it, so we, we moved in. Um, so that's where we're at now, as far as single family goes. Um, we still have a you know portfolio of about 12, 13 units, um, but we've over the last two or three years, we really started to focus more on commercial stuff and, and syndications, both as part uh, part of the the limited partnership and the and the general partnership. And we've really liked that. So as, as far as the the ease. The, the fewer different types of headaches, more professional headaches, as opposed to tenants and toilets type of headaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been focused on for the last two or three years. 
Awesome. So you said you you started buying before the Great Recession, and was that in Utah? That was. That's right. So, what happened with those properties? So we we got to four units that we were renting. And shortly after my wife and I got got married, we, we kept on kept those rentals for maybe a year or so, and then we sold those, took all this equity from this massive, awesome run up prior to that, right? And of course, we thought we were brilliant. Look, I mean, had all this equity, and we bought this beautiful five hundred fifty thousand dollar house right against the mountains up there in Salt Lake Valley, um, and it was just the two of us, right? <laughs> but we justified it with. We, you know, we're going to live here for 20 years, raise the kids here. Um, and pretty soon we just got tired of it. We really did. We, we, we realized, okay, we've got the big screen, the cars, the TV, and what are we doing here? We, we felt like we wanted to do something a little more adventurous and this house was letting us in. Um, so 2010, we were wanting to sell it. And our neighbor right next door, he had a nicer house, finished basement, pool in the backyard, worked for UPS. UPS wanted to transfer him out to Arizona. And so they're just telling him, just sell it for whatever you can get for it. And he ended up selling for like three fifty or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. I mean, at, at that point, we just felt like game over, right? This isn't going to recover for 10 years. Of course, we were wrong about that too. Yeah. <laughs> but we ended up just selling it for pretty much what we had into it. And, and so we, we didn't lose money. Well, we lost the equity. We lost the equity that we, we put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there... Um, you know, we, we, we actually went and traveled for about a year before we came to Texas. Um, so we went and had some fun when we settled in Texas that we came here pretty much, you know, having uh, burned all of our equity up, up there and really had to start from scratch once we got here. Okay. So you, you got your initial investment out of that property. Is that what I'm hearing? We, we, no, we, we, we lost a lot of, the, all the equity from selling those those other units, those other rentals. Oh, okay. Essentially, to put in the down payment, the landscaping, the expensive blinds, whatever, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Those dollars we put into it, we did not get back. Okay. Yeah. So. Property. Yeah, it sounds like you got a lot of good experience before that, though, and that helped. <laughs> experience you we got to keep going after after you recovered from that. So, what right. was your next your first project upon moving to Texas? Yeah, so, so coming here, we wanted to do it with more intention and understanding of the numbers. Um, and and so, you know, we, where before it was, okay, we, we'd pick up a property, live in it for a little bit, keep it, and then move into something else. Mm-hmm. And, so, and you can, you, anybody can do that. There's no science behind that. You, it just takes time, right? What we wanted to do was accelerate that uh, and do it in, in, a, in a more sophisticated manner. So our first project that we bought here in Austin we, it was a duplex in 704. Um, it was a property, you know, knowing that this is, this is a neighborhood that's going to be a teardown market. So we, we bought that, just did a very light lipstick um, rehab on it, moved into one side and f- actually furnished the other and ran it as an Airbnb. Okay. And that worked well because we were living on the property and, and uh, could manage it very easily. So we actually did quite well with that one right there off of South First and Cardinal Lane, right? I mean, just right there in the thickest stuff. So it was really easy to, to fill up. Yeah. Um, and then um, our next project after that was that house in, in 78721 that was, we bought was just as a rehab property project. Okay. And you said that 
it had a lot of permit issues. What all, what type of rehab did you do on that? And what led to the permit issues? Yeah. So we thought we could be in and out of there in about four to five weeks, really just some cosmetic stuff. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to move the water heater. The water heater, it was one of these old houses. The water heater was essentially accessed through um, one of the be- the bedroom's closets. And oh. so we wanted to shift a little bit of that plumbing to move that water heater. Um, and we're going we to get some space because this was a smaller house to get a, an actual laundry room where we did, wanted to do an on-demand water heater and have that installed on the outside. So literally a few feet of plumbing to get that done. So we thought, all right, let's just try to knock it out real quick. <laughs> yeah. so of course, one day you know, the plumber's over there working and he's got his, his, his van out, parked out front with all the, um, his logos and company details on the front. City inspector drives by, pokes his head in, end of story. Shut it down right there. Oh, wow. So it was one of those deals. He just literally poked his head in, started asking questions to the plumber, and the plumber knew that the gig was up. So it took us, and I think because it, we got into the permit process that way, I think they had a, it, it felt like we had um, a target on our back. We just could not get permits approved for, for months and months and months and months. We'd have, we'd get the work done. One inspector would come out, tell us, okay, most of this is good, but you've got these couple of red flags. So we'd get those fixed, call for an inspection again. A different inspector would come out. Okay, that's good, but you've got these red flags over here. We just got stuck in that cycle for, for months and months and months. Oh. Having to get a full engineer report, architectural drawings, the, the, whole, the whole bit. It's so just that, to move a water heater? Yeah, well, that was what got us into it. But then they realized okay. that there was more work that had been done as well. Mm-hmm. And that's also what, when we learned some things, the, the, the seller that we bought it from had done something, you know, he, he was thought of himself as a handyman, yeah. um, but he had done a lot of work in there. He, he, he took the bathroom and put so much stone inside the bathroom, made this massive type man cave type of man cave type of a bathroom, made it so heavy with stone that it was literally starting to pull down, sinking the foundation right there on this pier and beam. So we had to have a foundation company and put in, I think it was like six or seven piers just underneath the bathroom to lift the bathroom back up because it was so heavy. Um, and, in, and also that previous owner had done some vaulting on the roof and in doing so had took out a structural beam. And so that's engineering, process, engineering drawings came in. Um, so we had to take off the whole roof, put in some new, new beams in there. It was a mess for this first true rehab project that we were jumping into. How did that one end up for you? Well, um, we, we were for the forgiveness came from holding it, hold it, holding onto it for a bit. So time at, at the end of the day, we knew we were, if we sold that once we finally got everything done, it was a nice little property. We liked it. Yeah. It was a little house. Um, but, uh, we, we, we knew that, you know, the numbers on that one, we just were going to lose. And so we decided to hold on to that one as a rental. We actually furnished that one and ran it as a midterm for an essentially type of, a corporate type of a rental. Mm-hmm. So we started renting it out to traveling nurses. Um, our longest tenants in there were uh, a plumbing company that got a job working on the Fairmont downtown and they needed a place for their plumbers. So we had three plumbers living in there for eight or nine months. So we just ran it as a essentially a furnished rental and that cash flowed really well until 
we, we just kind of tired of that and what we got to a point we knew that it appreciated well and then sold it off maybe three three years ago or so oh nice so, you just um, so it ended up yeah we, we cash flowed well for the, that time and then once you sold it we actually did make make a profit on it That's yeah absolutely i bought one in 2018 and, and had the the planned arv was here by 2020 it was all the way up here and I sold it for way more than I ever thought it was going to be worth in a short yeah. period of time. So that that's what saved us. You know, like when we were stuck in that permit process and it was taking forever, I'd continually run the comps and I was making more money on the appreciation. We were actually doing well as I was seeing that literally quarterly appreciate really well. Like, all right. So yeah, it stinks right now where we have, we have these holding costs, but time is going to be the is as long as you didn't have a massive crash, you know that was our the fear, the, the concern. Is but we the, the time and the appreciation that was happening there was just all right. That's what's going to save us on this one, and that's what did save us on that one. And you you had better tax treatment, not getting it done four or five right. weeks too. So exactly, there's some silver linings there. Yep. So, you know, it sounds like you started out around Salt Lake City. Why did you choose to relocate to Austin? So it didn't have anything to do with real estate. That was a different uh, side of life on my, you know, the professional W two side. We in, in Salt Lake, we kind of got exposed to the nutrition, wellness, healthy eating lifestyle um, to a degree that it was really helpful for my wife and some of the chronic, a uh, uh, chronic condition that she deals with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what opened our eyes to it. And we went and traveled for that year. We were literally we had the ideas of starting our own food product line. That was, that was our thought process while we were traveling and why we landed in Austin. So nothing to do with real estate. Um, but while we were traveling, we, we were going to do these organic banana and cacao, cacao plantations in Costa Rica and Bali and these, these awesome chocolate manufacturers in Australia and seeing what these guys were doing and, and looking at, you know, where, where you buy, grow and buy chia seeds and hemp, hemp seeds and, that kind of stuff. So we were having a blast. Um, and then so when it's time to come back to the States, we knew Austin was a hotbed for that mm-hmm. head Whole Foods Market. We were thinking of making a product line that we would sell to stores like Whole Foods Market. So the, the, the vibe, the no snow, the, the, the food scene, the entrepreneurial drive here was really attractive. Absolutely. And I think it's still is and even more is today for sure you know so there's so much going on here there's so many businesses that say hey where should i go in the u.s austin gets close to the top of that list a lot of the time so exactly so yeah so 2011 12 13 for me were i was actually working with several local food manufacturers here doing some marketing and, and and sales consulting for them helping them expand their footprint into stores had a blast i mean it's a it's a fun to work in that market come home with free samples of ice cream smelling like chocolate. But, you know, I learned there's just not a whole lot of money in it mm-hmm. um, unless you end up selling to a Mars or a Kraft or whatnot. And so the idea then became, well, let's go make our money on the real estate side. That's where I can raise a family and then have the lifestyle fun of food products. One day you'll raise the kids. When the kids get a little older, have a little product line, we can go sell at the farmer's market for fun rather than trying to you know raise the family on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of businesses like that where it just sounds great and it sounds like stuff I should get into and you actually look into the margins and what you could make doing it. Not not so great. Right. You know, it right. sounds amazing. Maybe like it'd be a fun lifestyle, but when you're looking to raise a family, 
say, hey, you know, this is going to be a little tough. It so, doesn't pay for nice vacations or good schools or whatnot. So, but real estate can. Yeah. So, Brad, tell us a little bit about what attracted you to real estate investing. It sounds like you were interested in it from the get-go. So you you had a college degree that focused on finance, so you could get into commercial real estate investing. Where did that come from? I I I, I don't know that I can recall the very first exposure. I remember in college learning of the Thunderbird School of Management out of Phoenix that focuses on international real estate. And it just intrigued me. I thought that was amazing. I ended up meeting my wife while we were dating. You know, I learned that her father had, was, was actually work, worked in commercial real estate and went to Thunderbird. Uh, pretty much was like, okay, marry me now. <laughs> so my, my, in between my junior and senior year, I actually interned with his company that he was up in Seattle. And this is the kind of company that was like, they'd go to Hong Kong and purchase skyscrapers and they'd use Hong Kong money to build these massive buildings and, and, and um, shopping malls in downtown Seattle and Portland. I mean, they were doing like really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Background was like, you know, spent time with Deutsche Bank and purchasing skyscrapers. And that was the angle that I, where I was heading. It was where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, when I graduated a year later, the job offers were just not that attractive. And after I came back from that internship, I joined, a, I was a, a minor partner, a junior partner in a little startup, online retail, and ended up ha- doing well with that company. We spent about nine years with that company that was, as my full-time job. Um, and so that's where my focus was. And that's when I, I was doing that and then picking up the rentals on the side. So when all that, you know, we sold that company, we went and traveled, we, we came, to, came to Texas, had these entrepreneurial ideas of a food product here. Real estate was always in the back of my mind. Um, you know, for, I always knew that, okay, picking up these rentals, holding onto them, that's long-term wealth. That's, I mean, that's safety nets right, right there. Um, and then, so once we, you know, dipped our toe in the water with the food scene here and realized what we realized as far as margins and money and lifestyle, real estate came back to the forefront. All right. So rather than the long-term hold and, you know, just as a safety net, what if we can make you know, more money there actively more quickly um, and accelerate it a bit? So that's when we started looking at the more active strategies of the fix and flips and the uh, rehabs and the sub twos and furnished rentals, things like that. So it's always in the back of my mind. I, you know, I, I didn't read rich dad, poor dad until after I graduated college it certainly fueled my, my, my desire, but it wasn't spark, the initial spark where you hear so many people talk about that book. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just back from the college days at some point getting exposed to Thunderbird and that, I hope that whole idea was, uh, I think where that initial interest came from. That's great. And it sounds like you had a great internship opportunity there during college with your, your uh, wife's father learning about everything they do. So. Right. Yeah. I learned. There. That, was, that was a fun summer. Yeah, so you just ignited that that passion for real estate. Exactly. With Rich Dad, Poor Dad and experiences like that internship. And, you know, so it sounds like yeah. you're, you're narrowing your focus now from what we were talking about before we started recording here. What are your, what are your long-term goals and, and what are you doing currently? So you started with the Airbnb, house hacking, single family flips in Austin and in Utah. What are you working on right now? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, 
That would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Right. What I what I really liked about the that commercial world is the sophistication of it. Understanding, spreadsheeting things a little differently than you know, when you're talking about rehab. It's just a completely different operation. And so when, you know, 15 years later after that internship and wanting to get back into real estate, you know, the ship of going into that type of, that type of industrial commercial real estate, that ship had sailed. So that's, you know, where I started looking at the single family stuff. Did that for several years and, and realized, you know, I really don't like picking out paint colors. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like dealing with tile and subcontractors. Um, and so the more, as we continue to do these projects, the, the less I wanted to be involved on that side. We, the, our last few projects, we ended up just partnering with a contractor, husband and wife team that we love, great, great partners. We would, we would find the property, finance it, they would do the work, we'd split a 50-50. Awesome. We, less I had to do, the better. But just it just became harder and harder to find those deals. Um, knew that wasn't you know, really gonna drive the, 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 the income that we wanted to, to get out of it. And so then started thinking more about um, the commercial side again. Well, where can I get into that um, without being skyscrapers? What else? Well, you know, what are the other angles of that? Um, and so then I started thinking, looking into the, the apartments and the self storage and the mobile homes, that kind of that kind of stuff. So the more I learned about that, the more it interested me to see it. You know, seeing it as a little bit more of a sophisticated play, different types of problems, less dealing with paint colors and, <laughs> and, and city permits into that degree uh, and just a more sophisticated business model. And so that's really what piqued my interest. Um, I started looking into it and developing relationships with brokers, going to some meetups, networking here, met a bunch of people, uh, did some conferences. Um, and, 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 and as I got into that world and, and tried to develop my relationship with brokers, realized who I'm competing against and that and, and that really is a team sport. So, okay. So then I started looking around, where's my team. I got to start putting this team together. And in, in that effort of building a team and wanting to do that, I learned about other avenues that I could play to participate in that world without having to be the guy sourcing the deal. Um, and so for the last three years or so, my focus has been coming in as a co-sponsor with syndicators on the commercial multifamily space. So, apartment buildings. Um, we actually have some done some other mobile home parks and self-storage unit type of properties, but where I come in as a co-sponsor uh, and, and play a specific role there, partnering with these folks that already have the team, that already have the operations, mm-hmm. our relationships with the brokers, um, and participate in their, in their operations. So my, you know, my, first, my first play into that was coming in as a limited partner, so just putting in some cash, letting that run, did that once more, saw that worked well, gained some relationships with the sponsors, and then it became, all right, well now how can I do this a little bit more actively and be play a role in that general partnership? So that's what I've been focused on for the last two and a half or three years or so. Awesome, and what's your long-term goal? So where are you going? You know, you got all the experience in the back end there, and now you're partnering with other general partners. What's your, what's your end goal here? Right. Would you like to be a, your, you know, have your own deal, or do you just want to keep partnering with people? You know, anything there would be good. Right. Right. You, you know, the idea continues to cross my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
to be honest, I like this little niche. I, I'm having this relationship, these conversations with my, you know, I'm working with a sophisticated operator on one side and where I spend the bulk of my time on the other is working with intelligent individuals who have cash to invest. Mm-hmm. So whatever they've been successful at, whether it be real estate or doctors or lawyers, they've, they've already done entrepreneurs, they've already done well there and they, they want to play into these, in these spaces and I, these apartment buildings, alternatives to the stock market. Um, maybe they're not attracted to the idea of fixing flips and picking out tile and paint color and that kind of stuff either. And so I present an alternative investment to them. So it's, a, it's, a, I really enjoy educating these smart, intelligent people about these alternatives to traditional um, investment methods and, and have done well there. It's actually, you know, it's a, it's a lucrative function being able to bring dollars to these projects um, is, is really enjoyable. So that's where I've got my, where my focus is right now. As I mentioned, I still have a portfolio of my own rentals um, that I own a couple duplexes and fourplexes, some duplexes that have done well. Um, and in fact, just last month, we, we completed some cash out refis on those, put a bunch of po- money in my pocket. I'm taking that and putting it right back into syndications. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to turn my nose up or turn away good deals on the single family side or small multifamilies, but I see those as a fuel to uh, accelerate what I can do and the dollars I can put into commercial syndications. Absolutely. And, and you bring up a good point there too. So I think the, the smaller active, and again, this is personal opinion. This is my own opinion. I think the smaller active side is great when you're trying to get started or you don't have any money. Right. Very limited money. But, you know, if you are a successful lawyer, doctor, entrepreneur, and you make a lot of money and your highest, best use of your time is doing your nine to five day job type thing, then you might be better off passively investing and not picking out paint colors at Home Depot and managing contractors and city permits. You know, if you make $500 an hour already, Picking out paint colors is not a $500 an hour job, but you can put that money with a syndicator or with a general partnership like you're involved in and get a return on it and not have to do anything. So you bring up a great point there. Um, If you've just graduated from college and you have a W-2 and you can house hack, you know, that might be a great use of your time. Perfect. For sure. Completely agree. And so, I'll, you know, I'll never regret going through that journey that I went through. I learned a ton there. Experience and a little bit of a nest egg to, 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 to fuel other, other investments. Um, so, and on the active side, on, on the, whether it be a single family home or the two, three, four plexes, eight plexes, whatever, that's where you can get some good home runs, some good some cash, right? And then you can use those to either continue to do those or once you've got enough pops of cash, then you can go maybe a little more passive or some bigger deal or whatnot, where you're not spending your time at Home Depot um, and collecting all the receipts. And so, yeah, so it completely depends on where you're at and what your, what your skill set is. Um, on some of the rehabs that I've done, I've, I never had to go hard money. I, I was able to borrow money from um, other successful individuals. So when I was doing the single family stuff, you know, I've got an orthodontist up in Round Rock that I, that I, he funded a couple of my deals. He's smart, makes money, good money, wants to get into real estate. Um, what I knew at that point to present to him was, here, would you fund this, my, my purchase and rehab of this property here? Now I go back to him and say, hey, listen, let's, we can go a little, rather than just, you know, taking a bet on Brad Shepard, the rehabber, 
I've got a team here of, of, of you know, with a whole different print, whole different ball game, you know, where we could put those same dollars into a, an apartment cash flow on day one and amplify your returns. And you don't have to worry about finding a new rehabber to place your money every six months to get paid off. And so you've got these intelligent individuals who they know how powerful real estate is, but they don't want to deal with contractors and Home Depot runs. So it's, it's whether they want you, whether you meet them and convince them to uh, fund your rehab or put it into an apartment syndication, these folks are out there that want to play in real estate one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And you just need to find your role there, you know? So I think everybody has a, a different role they can play in real estate or as an investor more so. So if, if you don't have a lot of money, but you have a lot of time and energy, then maybe your role is on active single family flips. But if you have more money than time, maybe you're better off being a passive investor. You just need right. to figure out what the best use of your time is. And then you'll be finding your spot in real estate. Right. And I know if I had never done rehabs, if I had never done Airbnbs, I'd always be wondering about it. I mean, that's yeah. the way it works, right? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I want to try it out and see how, see how it goes. And, and, and learned a ton, made money. And I, unfortunately, I've never lost money on the deal other than, well, well since I came to Texas anyway. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, those, those have been, uh, there's great ways to, 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 to learn and to earn and decide what's the best route for you as an individual. Absolutely. Brad, what's your best mindset advice for somebody that's looking to get started or that's just gotten beat up? Maybe they had a bad project. How do you stay on track? with your mindset? Time does heal a lot of wounds in real estate. So time, we've got time on our side. For most of us have time on our side. Well, even if you're 60 years old, you've got, you've got a decade can do a lot of good in, 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 a, in a bad real estate play. So be patient. Patience is one thing. And two, it really is a team sport. It, it, once, whether you connect with a mentor, a partner, um, a group of folks that you invest together, having, having some, somebody that you can lean on and, and weather those storms with together is really helpful. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be a, a group that you have to pay a bunch of cash to get into, or that, though, though that can be helpful. Um, but one way or another, find folks that you can, you have complementary skills and personalities. Um, once, once I did that, I mentioned that husband and wife, um, contractor couple, Perfect. We had massive speed bumps in those projects, but we were, you know, as individuals, we had our highs and lows at different times. So we were able to continue, you know, get, going through the project as it needed to go. Um, so the connecting with folks that are going to get your back and cheer you on and some patience are helpful in this game. It isn't a, it is not a get rich quick scheme. Yeah. Um, you have to slow down and, and, and do it methodically and be patient and the returns come. Absolutely. Completely agree. You know, if you're looking for getting out of your, your day job in the next year, you might have some surprises waiting for you. But if you're right. willing to get rich quick over a 10 to 30 year time period, then that's a great place to be. Incredible so your, wealth. Yeah. Possible. What's your favorite business or mindset book? You'd mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I think everybody should read that. But do you have a favorite book you recommend to people that are interested yeah you know rich dad poor dad is one i've gone back and read every three or four years i'll, I'll pick that one up again because it is it's a good motivator uh, one that i've read recently uh, about maybe 18 months or so ago that i've gone back to and i actually have some a, a plan up here on my on my wall 
is it's Hal Elrod. The, the author's name is Hal Elrod, called Miracle Morning. Oh, love it. I think, are you familiar with that one? Oh, yeah, I've read three or four of them. Okay, yeah. So just that idea of just starting your day off right. And it's been harder once we've had kids. I've generally been a morning person, but kids have kind of made that schedule a little wonky. But getting, getting up in the morning and be able to run through that savers process that he talks about. Mm-hmm. And I have my schedule listed out here my, in, a, in a function that works out for, works for me um, is, is really helpful. And, and it, it, the days that I can do that before the kids wake up, I'm a much better dad, much more present, much better breakfast companion. Where if my boy comes in and wakes me up and I haven't had a chance to pee yet, you know, it's, a whole different, <laughs> it's a whole different morning. So just uh, that, that process of getting up early enough to do some meditation, do some study, do some writing is, is really incredibly powerful. And then from there, you, you start to lose control of the day a little bit, especially with kids, especially when you're, you know, they're right outside the door in quarantine with us. Yeah. But uh, that book has been really, uh, really powerful. I recommend that one. Yeah, and they have a miracle morning for almost any subset of person, too. They have the right. miracle morning for families, for real estate agents, for millionaires, for literally everything. Yeah, they went chicken soup style. Yeah, check them out. Um, so, Brad, you know, how could people get a hold of you if they're looking to get involved in what you're doing now? And how can they get involved in what you're doing now? Yeah, best place to find me is at my website. It's sugarhouseinvestments.com. Mm-hmm. Sugar House is one of the, uh, those cool, um, fun, old neighborhoods up in Salt Lake City. So that was one of the areas that we really liked when we lived up there. So when we started our company, we, that was the name that came to mind. Um, so SugarHouseInvestments.com, that is where we run our, uh, our passive syndication platform through. Um, that's where people can sign up on our email distribution list to hear of upcoming projects that we're working on. Um, generally these are deals that are just for accredited investors, though some do have spots, limited spots for non-accredited. Um, but that's where people sign up on that list and they'll see that deal flow come through and connect with me. Um, and yeah, you know, all the other social media channels as well, the Facebooks, the LinkedIn's were, were out there, but the best place is the website. So Brad, could you explain accredited and non-accredited for people who may not understand the terminology? Right. So because these are, these, 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 um, these are considered alternative investments as opposed to just putting your money with a Charles Schwab broker or Fidelity or whatnot. Um, these are uh, pr- private placements, private investments, um, for the, the, the securities and exchange securities exchange commission wants to make sure that us as the general partners are not going to take advantage of somebody and put their dollars in an unsuitable investment. Mm-hmm. So the first metric that they've got for these, um, for most of these investments is that they are just limited to accredited investors. And that means you're an individual that makes at least $200,000 a year, or if you're married, $300,000 a year. You've been at that level for the last couple of years and foresee that continuing in, into the future. Or you have a current net worth. It's an either or, it's not, it's not a both. So the other Alternative is if you have a current net worth of at least a million dollars or above, not including your personal home. So a million dollar net worth, or you're making at least 200 grand, that opens up this whole other world of alternative investments to you as an accredited investor. Absolutely. And you did mention there, there are spaces for non-accredited investors in some of these, these spots too, correct? That's right. So it's, there are different types of, um, 
these these syndications mm -hmm. the terms it's fine the, the it's determined by whether it's a 506b or a 506c private offering that's that's the fancy terms but it just means it for the deals where we can allow non-accredited investors are ones where we cannot advertise and a prior relationship with you as a non-accredited investor meaning we're not meeting for the first time while you're writing me a check it's we've had coffee together we've 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 had a couple of zoom calls together we know each other i know a little bit of your background your wife your kids your, your your professional status and then i can allow you into a deal as somebody that we i have a prior relationship with even though you're not accredited and at most these deals generally allow when we do go with that type of an offering the 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 number of spots for non-accredited investors is generally 35 and so it is a truly a limited number of spots that are allowed into these into these deals um but for I, you know, I've worked with some friends that are um, not quite to that level yet. Wanted to get into these deals. Perfect. I've gotten gotten them into a couple a couple of these opportunities, um, and it, I can do that because we're friends, right? We've got a. I'm I'm not gonna. I, I know their background. I, I know this is a suitable deal for them. So those do exist. Yeah, and as as you mentioned too, this stuff is always changing. So keep an eye out for for new regulations in the future. Um, there's always crowdfunding too that you can get into and not be accredited, but there are opportunities for anybody to get into investments like this. Absolutely. And it is fluid because these are strong investments. The SEC is getting lighter on their, they've just recently expanded their definitions of accredited investors. It didn't impact a whole lot of people. Um, but if you just work for a real estate firm now, you can qualify as one of the, as accredited. So they're making it, easier and I think over time it's going to get easier and easier to get into these deals because they are strong ones and, the, and the, the the case has been proven over and over again that these are good places to put your cash. Probably way better than opening an account with Charles Schwab. That's completely my opinion. Yeah yeah there you go. <laughs> so awesome uh, sugarhouseinvestments.com correct Brad? That's right. All right look up Brad online here he's also on Facebook. I know we met on the Investor Underground. That's um, right. Brad, one last question, probably the most important question you'll answer today. What's your favorite restaurant in Austin? Oh, wow. Man, it's <laughs> funny that we haven't been able to go out to eat for so, so long. Um, the, I think our favorite that my wife too loved to go to is Barley Swine. They used oh. to be here on South Lamar. They're up now on North Burnett. Um, yeah, same same guy, the same chef as Odd Duck. Um, his dad is the guy is Jack Allen from Jack Allen's Kitchen. Oh, uh, but he, he's got his own style, barley swine. Every, every every any weekend you show up there, it's different than the weekend before, but it's still incredible. Absolutely, Jack Allen's has a great reputation too. So exactly, yeah, and, and I think the, the chef's name is a uh, Bryce. That's the that's the son, and he's, so he's got barley barley swine and Odd Duck. Odd duck for me was eh, okay. Barley swine though, home run. All home right, run there. I will have to check that out. I have not been there yet. Yeah, that's a good one. That North Burnet scene is hopping. There's a lot of good restaurants up there. Oh yeah, there's a bunch up there. Right. All right, Brad. Thank you so much. Thanks for jumping on here today. Again, if you want to get a hold of Brad, best place to reach him is SugarHouseInvestments.com. He'd love to help you learn more about commercial real estate and also, let's say, flipping in Austin, whatever you need to learn about, Brad's there for you. Thank you very much, Jordan. Great to be here today. All right. Thanks, Brad. You have a great day.